Well, good morning, church. Man, it is so good to be with you. Can you believe it's November? It's beautiful outside. There's a big football game on today. (laughs) Got to keep our allies close. I appreciate you sitting up front today, brother. I just... It's hard. It's hard in Philly country, you know, to be a Cowboys fan. It's hard. So for those of you who don't care about football, just put me on your prayer list. That's all I'm asking. If you do care, we'll move on quickly because I need you to like me for the next 30 minutes. I want to share the word with you. Before we get into it, let me just say a big thank you to everyone that helped pull off Fall Fest on this last Tuesday night. We had an incredible, incredible outreach. Yeah. So good. Hundreds and hundreds of guests were here on our property uh, just having a great time with their kids and enjoying the free food and the fun, and we, we just had a blast. It takes a whole lot of volunteers to make that happen, so thank you for having a heart to serve this community, for just helping us to be a practical, tangible expression of the love of Jesus right here in Wrightsville. Uh, I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to uh, one of the most popular stories in human history, even outside of the Bible. This story is in Luke chapter 15. If you've never read the Bible before, the odds are you still are familiar with the reference or the idea of a prodigal son. I believe it was Charles Dickens that said, this is the greatest short story that's ever been written. And so I wanna look at this story for a few moments today and we're just gonna walk through Luke chapter 15, verse 11 down to about verse 24. And uh, this is actually just one story uh, in a trilogy of stories about lost things. Jesus talks about a a lost coin in a house, a lost sheep uh, in the field. And now he tells this story of a lost son. And I just believe the Lord wants to, to let this very familiar story to a lot of us just take on a new life. If you've never heard this story before, you're in for a treat. It's, it's a powerful story. But let's begin together in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Jesus continued, again, this is the third story. He continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property up between them. Now, let me just pause right here at the introduction and say this young man's story of wanting to to go out and find happiness in the world, it's a story that we've all heard a thousand times. It's a story that's been played out in a million different young men and young women. Women, this, this desire to just, I want to go out and I want to find satisfaction in the world. And can I just say that, that, that this desire is rooted in the dissatisfaction of life. Now, I know that's a broad statement, and not everybody's reason for for picking up and running out is based on that, but this is a story we've seen over and over and over again, this belief that, that just, that the best for me is out there, that the best for me is over there with them, that, that God's best for me is not here. It can't be with you. It can't be where I'm at. It must be out there. It, it's the old adage, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. 
And we've all felt that experience before of just feeling like we're missing out, that there's something better on the other side. And even the fence itself is a reminder that that, that I'm hemmed in, that there's a boundary. There's something that's keeping me from the best that I could experience in this life. And, And by the way, that feeling, that frustration, that longing that we experience that often entices us away from the thing that God has in mind for us. It's as old as time. I mean, we see the same story playing out on page two of your Bible. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve are there in the Garden of Eden. They literally have everything. I mean, the the world has been custom designed and crafted for them. God gives them dominion to rule over all of it. and, And there is an absolute opportunity for total contentment in that place. But then the serpent comes in and, and what does he do? He, he deceives them and the lie is this. The lie says, God's holding out on you. That, that's the lie. The lie is you, you can't be fully satisfied with what he's given you. I mean, I know he's given you a lot, but what's he keeping from you? Why doesn't he want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And they began to buy into the deception that that if I can just take what's mine and get over there with them out there, I can find the happiness that I'm missing out on. It's the same, it's the same tension that that causes the the drug addict to, to reach for harder drugs. It's what makes the the alcoholic grab a stiffer drink. It's what makes the the married man cheat on a faithful wife and go and have an affair. It's what makes the the gambler want to go back, buy one more ticket, pull the slots one more time, pull up a seat at the table. I mean, maybe at first it was just discretionary income, but, but now it's the savings account that's getting drained. Now, now it's the retirement account and just one more shot, one more opportunity. And before you know it, the, the grocery money to feed your kids is missing. And why do we do that? It's that longing that says, the, what's gonna bring me satisfaction if I could just, and we do it on social media, we scroll other people's stories. We look at their life and we think, if, if I just looked like that, if I lived there, if I had those things, that's what we see in this story. King Solomon talked about the vanity of that kind of pursuit. He, he had, I mean, he had more disposable income than you could ever imagine. He, he, he bought himself every pleasure that a man could bring himself. Riches, houses, women. And at the end of it all, he said, it's vanity. It, it's, it's the chasing of the wind. Look at verse 13 in the story. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country. Now, now Jesus is telling this story to a Jewish audience. So they understand intuitively that this country is the holy land. Where we're at is the place where God said blessing would be, where God's presence would be. So when this young man sets off to a distant country, it was, it was like a, a trigger statement to say, he's moving away from God. He's moving away from God's best. He's moving away from God's presence. And then Jesus underscores it with the next statement. It says, and there in that distant country, he squandered his wealth in wild living. So immediately we know in this story, this young man is making poor choices. 
I mean, he, he's, he's gone away from the father's house and now he's squandered his wealth on wild living. Verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So Jesus is starting to paint a darker picture here. And it's interesting when you look at the way the world defines moments like this, we would say this is, this is misfortune. We would say this is just a string of bad luck. I mean, come on. You mean the moment that you ran out of money, now a famine hits the, that country? Not, not the father's country, that country. And we would look at that situation and we would just say, man, he, he ran out of money. He, he ran out of luck. And, and I've heard a lot of people come to me and say the same thing about their life. They would say things like this, like, I just fell on hard times. They would say, you know, we, we just had a string of bad luck. We just, we just dealt with some unfortunate circumstances. We had some unexpected issues that came out. But let me tell you how the Bible defines the circumstance. It might not look like it to you, but what this actually is, is the kindness of the Lord. It, it's the kindness. It's the kindness of the Lord. You say, wait a minute, it doesn't look like kindness, but it's the kindness of the Lord. What you need to understand is this. Sometimes God blesses you for your good. And sometimes God stresses you for your good. But know this, it's always for your good. Like Romans 8, 28, it's this great promise we cling to that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So a lot of times we read that verse and, and our, our mind immediately goes to the God working for our good. But I want you to focus in on the last part of the verse and recognize today that even if you're running from God, even if you're rebelling from God's will for your life, he hasn't canceled his purpose or his calling on your life. He, he still has a plan. He still has a purpose, and, and he's working all things towards that end. The truth is, we know this today. There are plenty of people that are living in rebellion to God right now, and, and they know it. It's, it's not revelation to them. In fact, if you talk to them, they might even tell you, I, I know I'm not where I need to be. I, I know I'm not living the way I'm supposed to be living. And they would still tell you, I love God. I, I, I still talk to God. Maybe they would even have a Bible that still sits on their nightstand and they would say, you know, sometimes I still read my Bible. And maybe they have enough biblical literacy that they would even use this metaphor and say, you know, I'm, I'm a prodigal. I'm a prodigal son. I'm a prodigal daughter. And can I just say, if that's you today, because prodigals are sometimes sitting in the house. If that's you today, know this, God still has a purpose and a calling for your life. He has a plan. And when things aren't working out for you, don't think it's because the devil all of a sudden has the upper hand. Know this, God in his kindness is limiting the distance between you and his house. Because sometimes God, God will bless you for your good, but sometimes God will stress you for your good. And in his goodness, he will let your friends run out and your funds run out. If that's what it takes 
That's exactly what happened in this story. This, this prodigal son, he said, give me my share. He took the money and he went to a distant country. Pretty soon the funds ran out. And he found out real quick when the funds run out, the friends run out. <laughs> like we're in the party if you're paying. And when the friends ran out, then a famine came and the food ran out. And he finds himself at a place he never imagined. I got no funds, I got no friends, I got no food. And for the first time he realizes I've got no future in the direction I've been heading. And for the first time in a long time, his heart and his mind turns back to the father's house. You know what the apostle Paul called that? He has a a phrase for this moment. It's called godly sorrow. Did you know that was a thing? Like we often think like, oh, you know, if sorrow is, is bad, you know, God be with us. But there's such a thing as godly sorrow. In other words, a sorrow that God designs and desires in your life. Paul explained it in 2 Corinthians 7.10. He said this, here's how you know it's godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. I'm so grateful to hear Roy's testimony this this morning. He he wasn't up here, you know, uh, just dragging himself through the mud. Why? Because godly sorrow leaves no regret. Would he do it differently? Oh, absolutely. If I could go back and change it, yeah, I'd, I'd be smarter. I wouldn't do the same things. But he's not standing up here today full of regret because he experienced a godly sorrow that brought restoration and life and repentance and salvation and leaves no regret. See, see, here's the thing, friends. If you only see the good things as what God is doing and the bad things, that's all the devil, you're missing about half of what God is doing in your life because the Bible says he works all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and sometimes the kindness of the Lord looks like consequences. Romans 2, 4 says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. But understand, kindness in the Bible doesn't just mean what we think kindness means. When we say someone is kind, we think, well, they're nice, they're good. But in the Bible, kindness is not just good, it's good for you. And sometimes... The best thing you can take is the medicine you need. And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. The most gracious thing God can do for some of us sometimes is to let us experience the effects of living outside of the covering of his blessing. Like, listen, God doesn't have to stand up there in heaven and throw lightning bolts at you. Like, you can self-destruct all by yourself, right? Like, I don't, I don't think we give the devil too much credit sometimes. I can wreck my own story. He doesn't need to get involved. All I need to do is step outside of the blessing and the covering that I find under the protective hand of my heavenly Father. And so oftentimes, God will, he, he doesn't have to judge you or strike you or condemn you. He, he, just, he just lifts his hand of mercy. See, mer- mercy is not getting what you deserve. There's so much that you and I deserve. 
We don't even recognize. We'd be on our knees all week if we knew what God kept us from. But the mercy of God keeps us from getting what we deserve. The grace of God gives us the things we don't deserve. David talked about it. He testified in Psalm chapter 40 in verse 2. He said, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. That, that's awesome. What a testimony. Like I was stuck in the mud and God lifted me out. He gave me a place to stand. But what we don't know is how long David had to sit in the mud before he called on God. We don't know how stuck he let himself get before he called on God. But we do get an indication later in the same psalm, in verse 12, David said, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. That's some deep mud. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. So it was the mercy of God that kept David from sinking in the mud. It was the grace of God that picked him up and gave him a firm place to stand. See, here's the good news for prodigals today. The good news is God's mercies are new every day. Every day. Some of you are like, man, I, I used up all the mercy I could get this weekend. Well, good news. His mercies are new every day. Better news. His grace is greater than sin. And, and the key to discovering that, the key to getting back to the father's house is found in verse 18 of this story. The young man says to himself, I will set out and I will go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Now, let me just state the obvious. Those words don't come easy. I have sinned. They rarely do. Back in June of this year, I preached a, a message on the seven times in the Bible that that phrase is mentioned, I have sinned. And what's fascinating, when you study those seven occurrences, only seven in the whole Bible, when you study them, you realize not everybody that said I have sinned actually received forgiveness. And the reason is not because God is unjust, but the reason is because God is not leaning over the, the balcony of heaven just waiting for somebody to say the magic words. No, God is looking for a heart of sincerity. Like a, a genuine heart. That's what the Bible says in Romans 10 in verse 10. It says, for it is with the heart that one believes unto righteousness. And it's with the mouth that confession is made. And so God's looking for a heart that says, I, I have sinned. And something has to happen to bring us to that place. And, and we see it in, in a beautiful phrase here. Jesus says in verse 17, when he came to his senses. And if there's any parents of prodigals here today, grandparents of prodigals, can I just, can I just say to you, it took a while. I don't say that to discourage your faith, but when you read this man's story, he, he took, he said, give me my share. And he went and he spent it all on wild living. When the money ran dry, that wasn't enough. 
When the friends left, that wasn't enough. When a famine came, that wasn't enough to turn his heart back to the Father. In fact, what he did is he, he went and, and, and offered himself as an employee to someone from that distant country. The only job he could get, Jesus said, was to feed the pigs in the field. Again, Jewish audience Jesus is speaking to, I mean, they saw swine as unclean, detestable. And so he paints a dark picture here and says, the best this guy could do for himself on his own was to feed the pigs. And then it gets worse. He actually wanted to eat the food they were feeding the pigs, but his boss wouldn't give him any. And so here's this young man salivating over pig slop. And he has a father that's ready to slaughter the fattened calf and throw him a party back home if he'll just come back to his senses. And finally, he does. Verse 17 again says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. It's amazing how our perspective can change, isn't it? Like, when he was a young man and had a pocket full of cash and he's ready to go out, we call that independence. Like, well, he's just got a, he's got a, you know, independent streak. He wants to go out and live his life. He's out in the country and he's spending money and he's making friends and we just call that pleasure. Maybe even in the church we would say, well, they're just sowing their wild oats you know, as if that's like an acceptable season of life. You know, there's just that season of life where we just lift all the restraints and you just sow your wild oats. Then he loses the money, he loses the friends and we would go, well, that's bad luck. Unfortunate circumstances, but finally he hits rock bottom. He figures out how deep the mud is and he calls it what it really is. Father, I have sinned. And that's the moment. He hasn't even picked himself up yet, but I assure you that's the moment in his heart he began the long journey back home. That road's called repentance. That, that, that moment of confession where we say the same thing about it that God says about it. It's not bad luck. It's not unfortunate circumstances. It's not a turn of events. It's not my own independence. It's not self-discovery. It's not figuring myself out. I sinned. And I want to say to someone today, if you're running from God, I, my prayer for you, and this might not sound gracious, but my prayer for you is that you, you, would, you would find out how deep the mud is today. That this would be the moment where you say, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. If you got to hit, hit rock bottom and bounce twice, if, if that's the way God can work for your good, I pray that today's the day that you say, I'm I'm done demanding my share. I, I love God's blessing, but I just want to use it the way I want to use it. It's, it's interesting when you read this story in most of our English translations, it's called the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. And that's a good title because like I said earlier, it's one of three stories about lost things, a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. But sometimes that title can cause us to miss the main point of the message. Honestly, an equally appropriate title for this little story would be the parable of the gracious father. 
Because that's the point that Jesus is actually trying to make. Jesus wants you to know, hear this friend, he wants you to know through this story that God is abounding in grace towards you. That's what he's trying to communicate, that God abounds in grace toward you. Look at verse 20. It says, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. This is the picture Jesus wants you to see. I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know if you picture God up in heaven, you know, just ready to hurl lightning bolts down at you if you step out of line. I don't know if you see a God up in heaven with his arms folded and a disgusted look on his face, but can, can you just for a moment at least embrace the view that Jesus wants you to have of God? This is how Jesus sees the Father. He's, not, he, he's heading back to the Father's house. You know what he doesn't find? He doesn't find all of his belongings out on the curb. He doesn't find that God changed the locks on the door. No, no, no. He said he's not full of rage. He's not full of of, of disgust or disappointment. He hasn't moved on and said, forget about that kid. I'm just going to focus on my older son. No, no, no. When the father saw the son, he was filled with compassion. Compassion for the one that squandered the resources, compassion for the one that took matters into their own hands and lost it all. Compassion for the one that does not deserve a second chance. He's filled with compassion. And then look at the rest. It says, he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. There's there's no better storyteller than Jesus. Can you get this picture in your mind? This boy that finally comes to the the end of him, he comes to his senses and he picks himself up and he says, I'm going, I'm going back home. I'm going to the father's house. And how do you think the father saw him when he was still a long way off? I'll tell you how he was looking for him. He was looking for him. I, I can just see it so clearly in my mind's eye as Jesus tells the story. Every night, the father's sitting on the front porch Maybe sitting in his rocker and the sun's setting. There's not much time left, but maybe today's the day. Maybe maybe today's the day he'll see the silhouette of his son backlit by the setting sun. and, And he's coming down that lane. This could be the moment. The hour is waning and then one day he sees the silhouette. It's a lot thinner than it used to be. His shoulders are slumped. His head is hung low. The father recognizes that familiar gait. That's my boy. And he rises from his rocker and he comes off the porch and he picks up pace across the front yard and it says he runs. He runs down the lane and he embraces his son in his love and he kisses him on the cheek. That's the heart of your heavenly father that Jesus painted for you in this story. Back in the pig pen, (laughs) the son had begun to prepare his speech. Like, if I'm going back, I better have something good to say. I I so appreciated Roy's honesty when he said, like, for my first year of sobriety, I didn't even go to church. I 
he was raised in church, but he didn't go back to church. He didn't give God credit for the work he was doing, even though he knew it was the Lord. And a lot of times we're like that as prodigal sons and daughters. Like we're, we're like, let me fix everything. Let me, let me get restitution. Let me earn my seat again. And so what does he do? He begins to write a speech. You can see him out there in the field with the pigs. He's, he's, got, he's, he's writing his speech. He's preparing. Verse 18, he says, I, I'll sit back and I'll go to my father. And here, here's what I'll say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Oh, that, that's not enough. Oh, I, I'll say this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Yeah, that's, if, if I could just sleep in the barn, if I could just work in the field. I mean, even the servants eat better than I'm eating. Just make me one of your hired servants. And honestly, his heart's in the right place. I mean, look at the difference between verse 12 when he says, give me my share. And, and then verse 18 where he says, make me your servant. But the reality is when he makes his way back down that long, dusty road, he doesn't even have time to give the speech. He tries. He starts. He, he, he breaks in with, Father, I have sinned against you and against God. And, and then his father envelops him in his embrace. He, he's just completely wrapped up in his father's love. I can just imagine him trying to get the, the rest of the speech out of the pocket. Like, you know, dad's kissing him on the cheek and hugging him. He wants to say, I don't deserve to be your son. He wants to say, just let me work in your field. But before he can do any of that, Verse 22 says, but the father said to the servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. That's grace. And it's amazing. That's grace. Mercy doesn't give you what you deserve. Grace gives you what you could never deserve. I love the way Max Lucado wrote it. He said, grace goes beyond mercy. Mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace threw him a party. See, true freedom is not out there, over there, with them. True, true freedom is not somewhere on the other side of the fence. True freedom is, is walking into a relationship with God in the path that he has for you. D don't misunderstand. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And, and we can fall into the deception that I'm missing out, that, that, that there, there must be something more out there. Even when we look at stories like, like the Exodus and God delivering his people, like we, we love that moment where Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And there's, I don't know, there's something in us. I don't know if it's nationalistic pride or just an independent streak, but we love it. Yeah, let God's people go. No one can control me, but we forget the rest of the statement. 
God said, Moses, I want you to say to Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Like, here's the deal, friends. You're a worshiper. You don't pick that. You were made to be that. Uh, Any more than a hammer chooses to be a saw, you're a worshiper. And you will worship. The question is, who are you going to worship? Is it going to be that pursuit of, of, of relationships, of experiences, of wealth, of a high, whatever it might be? Or is it going to be the worship of God? Walking in freedom means walking to the Father, not away from Him. Towards His commands, not away from them. Freedom is found when we stop saying, give me my share. And we have a heart that says, make me your servant. I want to pray as we end this service today. And as we came into this, this weekend, there was just this strong sense that perhaps there are even going to be some prodigals in the room today. And if we ask you, you would say, I love God. So I'm here. I, I even talk to God. But if you're honest about your life, you would also say, I'm a prodigal. I'm not living for God. I'm, I'm, I'm living my life away from his word, away from his plan, away from his purpose. And today, I, I wanna just make an invitation for prodigals to come home. Maybe, maybe today you heard Roy's testimony and you resonated with that feeling of being trapped just for too long, for too many years. There's been so much collateral damage. My prayer for you, friend, is that this would be the day that you find out how deep the mud is and you just get tired of being in that place. And you call on God as David did. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry and he picked me up from the muddy pit and he set my foot on a firm foundation. He gave me a rock to stand on. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed right now, I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the invitation of a loving father, not a condemning father, not a vengeful father, not one who wants to put you in your place, but the one who runs to you, who embraces you, who celebrates your return to him. If you're here today and you say, that, I, I've been a prodigal. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not living for the Lord, but I'm ready to come home today. I'm ready to be free. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye is closed right now, just as an expression of faith, would you just lift up a hand right now to say, that's me. I'm, I'm not here to call you out. Thank you. Anyone else? I, I just want, as a moment between you and God to say, that's me. That's me. Maybe you've called it something else. Maybe you've called it something else. Maybe it was just independence. Maybe it was just experiencing the world. Maybe it was just a string of bad luck, but today you would say, no, I, I, I see what it is. Father, I've sinned and I haven't lived for you. Thank you. Once you've put that hand up, you can put it back down. Anyone else? I'm asking for the last time. 
I just want you to see God the way Jesus wants you to see him. He loves you. He longs for your return. Anyone else? All right, we're gonna pray. Thank you so much for just allowing the Lord to work in your heart. Church, I want you to surround these with your faith. Would you pray this prayer out loud? Everyone pray it with them. Come on, let's, let's make this a moment of surrender. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for the blessings and thank you for the stressing. Thank you that you'd use all things for my good. Today, Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I don't deserve it. But I believe you're offering it to me. I believe Jesus died for my sin. His death was enough. His resurrection was enough. I believe I'm forgiven. And I'm coming home. I love you, Lord. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, would you stand to your feet? Yes, let's bless the Lord. Let's bless the Lord today. As we close this service, I, I want to pray one final prayer. And that's for those of you, you're, you're hearing this message and you heard Roy's testimony. And your heart breaks for somebody that's not here. I just believe in the power of prayer. And I believe that with, with, this, with this congregation of saints linking our faith together, there's nowhere they could go, there's nowhere they could be that God can't reach them right now by the power of his Holy Spirit. So could we just close this service by praying a prayer of intercession? God, we stand in the gap today for those that would not raise a hand, that would not come to an altar, those that would not grace the doors of a church on a Sunday morning. God, you love them. You have a plan and a purpose for their life. Many of them, they know that. God, we pray they would have a sobering moment even today, even on this first Sunday of November, 2023. God, would you let them come to their senses. Cause them to come to their senses, God, to recognize that there is great blessing and there is a life of fulfillment and purpose and satisfaction and it's found in the Father's house. It's found when we submit our lives to you, not living our lives demanding, give me what's mine, but saying, Lord, make me your servant. God, we pray today for prodigal sons and daughters, prodigal spouses, prodigal parents. Lord, we pray that the spirit of conviction would fall upon them and that they would get up from where they are and call upon you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the greatest soul winner in the universe and you're drawing their hearts back to the Father's house. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen.